Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Will Ha. Will is an iOS developer at the Southern California-based consulting company, Lole, where they primarily focus on mobile development. Welcome to the show, Will. Hey, thanks for having me, Garrick. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. So a little background on how Will and I met. I actually went down to Little Tokyo in downtown Los Angeles to uh, a little place called Opods, where I was meeting with the people that work there to see if I can host my meetup, Learn Swift LA. And, you know, shout out to Opods. We're meeting there twice a month now. Really awesome. So thank you so much to Opods for that. And during the initial conversation, it was made known that I was a lawyer and I am a lawyer, a licensed attorney here in California. And somehow word spread quickly like wildfire and Will was there working and he and I met because Will is also a licensed attorney turned iOS developer just like me. Um, So yeah, that's how Will and I met. And um, I don't know, it was really cool. He was very, he was very open and uh, nice and we chatted and he ended up giving a little bit of a talk at one of my meetups about how he started uh, learning iOS development because that was the topic for that night. How did we go about learning it? And yeah, so again, thank you so much for being so kind and for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much, counselor. (laughs) You know, what's really crazy is the fact that, um, you know, 10 years ago, if you asked me that, hey, you know, I'm going to be on a podcast with another lawyer, what what the hell's a podcast, right? Um, Talking about iOS development because that's how we... um, do our, our day jobs now is just um, pretty insane. Um, so I, I think in a lot of ways, it's like the sign of the times as to just how the landscape is these days. Yeah. And that I think there's a lot of people transitioning from whatever they used to do or they're doing now into development. You know, I meet a lot of people at my meetup. Uh, just last week, in fact, someone was uh, or is a music composer and they're coming from music and they want to transition into something else and they see iOS development or programming as a bright future, something for them, uh, some it's, it's hopeful for them. And I, I see that now and I pretty sure I saw it then. Um, it was more of like just an interest and I was just following my nose as I like to say. Yeah. But yeah, now it's just, it's definitely a, a bright, hopeful future for me. So yeah, there's something definitely going around. Yeah, Absolutely. So, Will, what are you up to right now? You work at Lole. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, I work at Lole. It's a um, consulting firm. Um, we do, um, I mean, overall, we do, you know, software development. We build software, but um, we specialize in, in, mo- in mobile, native mobile. Um, but oftentimes, um, there's like a web component or an, e- an API component to it, too. So we end up doing building those things out as well. Uh, our clients are, you know, oftentimes uh, startups or, or semi-established or established companies that that kind of need like a project built built out uh, in a relatively short period of time. Um, and it's 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 not known it's not a secret that a lot of companies just don't have um, you know all the resources necessary to build mobile apps. Um, you know, a lot of guys might focus on web that's their bread and butter, but then that they thought, well, maybe this maybe a mobile app that's native is would pay off somewhat. So, um, oftentimes it's actually farmed out to 
other folks, uh, folks like us um, and, and other uh, consulting companies to, to build out. So, um, so you know, it's project-based um, and um, things happen pretty quickly too. Um, so it's, it's pretty fun. You get to see a lot of projects in a short period of time. Um, but it's also uh, very intense in that uh, you have to context switch um, often, more often than you'd like. Why is that? Because you're not always working on one project, like the same project every day? Correct, yeah. I mean, like, um, I've had it so that I've, I've worked on maybe three projects, three different projects a day in different languages, you know. Uh, so, for wow. example, um, you know, I, I remember one summer, maybe I was working, you know, in Objective-C, and then I'd switch on over to Android real quick for the Android Android version of it, and I'd do, you know, maybe a couple of bug fixes or maybe do some tracking or something like that, and it'd be in Java. Um, and then, who knows, maybe maybe I'm doing, like, UI automation um, on Xcode and JavaScript to do um, to drive the, the, the UI testing uh, there. So it's, um, it's you're, you're switching quite a bit, you know, and, like, it's, it's not a, you don't, you don't work on a single product um, nonstop. You don't have that luxury. So, so how were you able to, to do that? I mean, did you learn one language first? <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean like, um, it all started back in 2012. Um, I mean, unlike the last person you interviewed, i I didn't teach myself to code, um, at, at age 10 in fifth grade. I, right. I taught myself to code, um, at age 30, I think. Um, I was already starting to bald. <laughs> so for those that yeah. might not know, he's talking about Alex Tomoykin. Uh, and yes, same with me. I have no coding background. I, I've been teaching myself how to program since I was th about the same age, too. So Yeah. I mean, like I started out um, learning how to code on Codecademy. You know, I went through Python, their, the JavaScript, uh, CSS, HTML tracks, did that. And then I ended up uh, deciding that, hey, you know, the, the most... Um, I'm a fan of the walled garden, uh, meaning like it's a closed system, which uh, in this case, Apple, where they dictate, you know, certain frameworks and certain languages and, and whatnot and tools that you can use to build apps. And I liked it because it's, it, there's a lot less uh, unknown. Uh, I mean, compared to, to web uh, native mobile, it's just, or at least in iOS, it's a lot more confined. So in this case, you know, I was learning Objective-C. Uh, I started out, um, working through uh, the tutorial series put out by Ray Wunderlich, uh, the iOS apprentice. Me too. Yeah, uh, built uh, built out the four apps that they have there and thought, hey, this is pretty cool. You know, instead of focusing too much in theory, you just kind of like follow the steps and towards the end you'd have um, four apps. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of gaps in knowledge, but um, it, it was the right balance between, you know, theory and, and actual practical um, applications that you're building. That's, that's really cool. So, yeah, I agree. The Ray Wendler, uh, iOS apprentice is, I, I recommend that to people. I, I use that. I didn't build all four. I built uh, three of them and it is a, a good balance for me. I'm a practical learner. So you learn a little bit of why you're doing what you're doing, but more it's how to create something. And then with, with code, especially in iOS, it's all super reusable. So I still refer back to all my old code 
um, if I need to, you know, if I don't remember how to do something, uh, which is really cool. So one thing I'm interested in, I feel like, do I need to learn another language or another platform right now? I want to just focus on iOS. Um, in my current job, my uh, my supervisor, my founder, he was telling me, hey, man, do you also want to do our Android app? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> not really. You know, I don't have any interest in the platform and I have no experience with it. I'm sure I could figure it out, but my interest lies in iOS. Yeah. And so I think what I'm going to do is just focus on iOS. And when the time really comes that I need to learn some other language or which I probably should, you know, I'll do it then. What do you think about yeah. that? You know, that's that's actually a tricky, tricky question. I mean, when I was in my first year of um, professional iOS development, um, I fell into the the trap of trap of like knowing more. Like I thought, oh, maybe I could learn Android as well. Maybe maybe I, that that helped me out overall. But uh, I think the reality is that if um, if you, if this is your first language anyway, um, and first platform or first professional year of experience, um, it's probably ideal to focus solely on um, that one um, language and that one framework. Um, that one platform uh, before moving on to, to the next one. Um, it's not, I, I think, I think the reason why is because, um, I mean, a, a particular language or a particular framework is deceptively shallow. I mean, it's actually a lot more, um, I got the rabbit goal, the rabbit hole goes very deep. I Interesting. Think, uh, I see what you're saying. A lot of people don't realize that, Hey, there's more than just, uh, you know, connecting a segue and passing like property. Um, you know, in, in navigation stack, like there's, there's things like, you know, with Swift, um, the hot thing is uh, functional programming, for example. I mean, you could right. spend forever learning that stuff. Um, if you get, get more into it, you could read all of, um, NS hipster and you'd see like, there's a lot more like low level stuff happening, um, that, uh, you wouldn't be aware of. So, so going back a little bit, tell us a little about a little bit about where Will Hawk came from. Uh, you don't have to go, you know, all the way back where to where born. you were born. But <laughs> so you are, you know, you're an iOS developer now. But yeah. as you said, you started teaching yourself at 30. So what were you doing before, and you know, yeah. how did you get to where you are now exactly? Yeah. So um, I mean, like you, I went to law school. Um, I was licensed on my 26th birthday. Um, this was back in 2008. Um, but I ended up finding a job out in. Orange County practicing law um, at a firm doing a civil defense litigation. Um, it was fine at first, but then like uh, ended up you know wearing on me, um, and I quickly realized um, that law practice wasn't going to be for me, or, or the way it was doing, the way it was done, like it just wasn't sustainable for me, at the very least. So um, I ended up leaving, but I left without um, any real knowledge as to what I wanted to do next. Um, I tried a variety of, of roles and, you know, tried getting in the advertising, marketing, and even tried a little bit of like retail, uh, supply type re retail. And, and then it wasn't until I moved up to LA where when I was telling myself that I'm going to go back into law because I was going to do criminal law by myself now, um, I ended up taking on um, some, some part-time contract work at an ad agency out in West LA they had released their iOS app and they needed some technical support, basically somebody to answer emails. And uh, the moment I started that, that's when I kind of realized like, 
what what opportunities were available um, in in tech. Uh, it was there that I you know met some developers and um, seeing what they were building and and um, they had a position open for QA um, a QA tester um, to test out their products before launching. Uh, so I took that. I um, I put a hiatus on law practice and. It wasn't until about a year after that I told myself that, hey, you know what? Maybe I really do. Maybe I can code like they like they code. Maybe I do have that ability. So I started teaching myself, and and that's also when I told myself that, you know, I, I really want to make it a goal to become a full fledged iOS developer within a year um, from starting to teach myself the code. So, I mean, by then it was, you know, I was like 31 or so. That's when I got the first um, iOS job. Um, like just straight out um, with that same company no not with that same company no uh, they didn't they didn't have um, any iOS developers on on staff it's not um, like I said it's just a lot of companies don't despite the fact that they have an app um, out so um, but, but also like I think even if I ended up trying to become a developer um, doing what they did which is primarily on web um, the transition wouldn't have been e- as easy anyway. It's I think it's really difficult to make the, the shift from uh, QA to dev. So, so how did you actually transition to that first um, iOS developer job? Yeah, I mean, um, I it was I was probably eight months in to study self study. Um, I knew that um, the deadline was a year, but I also wanted to test out to see how the market was. Your personal deadline was a yeah year. my personal my personal deadline so I so I um you know went on some job sites and I uh, essentially flyered out some resumes um, and I was surprised that you know people actually called me back with uh, with no quote unquote professional experience in software development um, I had, by then I had like maybe maybe one app in the store and um, it was a very simple view based app um, that triggered table view cells to a detailed view and. Um, Right, I read about that in your, you know, in your book, which we'll get into. It was yeah. what was it? Local? It was a local restaurant <laughs> search or something. Yeah, I think it it's called pins on a map. Yeah, it's, I think it's called No Forks. Yeah, no just, Forks, exactly. Yeah. So, so you, by the time you were applying for your first yeah. iOS developer job, you actually had an app in the App Store. I did. Yeah, awesome. so I went through the process of you know provisioning and distributing. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, so that was that's been the biggest mistake I would say. I mean, if I was gonna you know, say there was some kind of mistake in, in what I've done over the last, you know, year and a half or so was not put an app in the app store. And that's one thing I recommend to anyone who asks me for advice. If, if your goal is to work as an iOS developer, then your goal should be to ship an app to the app store within one year of you, you know, learning you know, during your learning, um, you know, cycle. So that that's awesome. Did you know that you needed to do that, or did it just yeah. kind of happen? I mean, okay. like uh, you, you, you look at any job listing. Everybody says, "Hey, you must ship at least one app to the store. Must have something like an app in the store." Right. I mean, some point. of the yeah, some of the more ballsy uh, employers ask for two apps. You know, right. <laughs> it's so interesting how similar in 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 some ways our lives are. Yeah, you know, lawyer to iOS developer. Um, I, I was reading your book last night and you lay out this really like intricate detailed plan that you're giving to people and you didn't even this is 2020 like you're looking back and saying this is what I would or should have done but mm-hmm. that's not what I did and I didn't have a plan either nope. I went into work uh, one day my boss was like dude you look like a zombie I'm like yeah I'm not really into it he's like you should take a break 
I said, yeah. And I'm really into this tech thing. I was developing an app. I wasn't, I wasn't the programmer. So, so you were doing it at, on your day job. Well, not at the day job, but you're doing it while you're working. Yeah, I was like into the tech scene. I had a startup. You know, I wasn't doing the programming, but mm-hmm. I was doing like the biz dev and yeah. some design. And, and I was like, I really like this. And so, yeah, I quit and I drove Uber to, you know, to support myself while I taught myself. Now, um, everybody must have thought you were crazy then, right? Yeah. And I actually, I read that uh, in your book last night, I read a little bit about, I don't know if, if you did this with your family, but you were recommending it to your readers. Like, hey, you should have a discussion with your family. Um, did you go through anything like that? Well, I mean, like, uh, you know, that, that first Thanksgiving when I, when I come home and we talk about it, you know, and like my mom wouldn't uh, stop asking me about it um, for a good three, four years um, but before she realized, hey, you know, like, he, he made a decent shift, you know. So is yeah. that what she says now? Well, I don't think we really, I don't, I don't think she really cares too much now, but uh, um, I, don't, I don't know if she, if she understands, like, just how, like, how prevalent, like, software development is these right. days either. I think a lot of people, a lot of folks don't know, uh, or they know it, but not in that particular way. So, I mean, did you, did you have that conversation with your family and whatnot, or? Yeah, definitely. So I'm Armenian. I'm first yeah. generation American. My parents uh, are from Iran. You know, they mm-hmm. came here in the late, you know, 70s, early 80s. They don't really, you know, lawyer or doctor. Mm-hmm. So when I told my mom I was quitting my law job and, you know, going to drive Uber, she was crying saying like, my son is a taxi driver and he's a lawyer. So, I mean, oh. I definitely had a conversation and said like, hey, this is what I, I need to do. I need you to trust me. How about you? Yeah. I mean, like, um, I, the, the day before I quit or the night before I quit, I called uh, my girlfriend at the time and I called mom, hey, you know, I'm quitting. Um, I'll just explain to you later, like, what's up? But 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 unlike you, I didn't have a good explanation. <laughs> I didn't say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to become this like tech startup guru. I'm going to do software development. No, I'm like, well, I just I just got to stop. You know, um, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I, I just wanted to be happy. Um, so. I so, didn't have much of a plan. I, I kind of just went out there, and I don't really know yeah. what I was going to do. So maybe we are maybe we were the same, you know. Um, but uh, that that those preceding two years, like they were they were difficult. I mean, like I was the the recession was still going on. Um, I ended up taking a pay cut that was so severe that I was um, you know making less than the taxes I was paying uh, as an attorney, you know. Um, but uh, wow, I mean, when did you, when, how long ago was it that you quit? Like, when did that transition happen for you? Summer of 2014. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, still, still pretty fresh and raw. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I graduated in 2012, so it was, I think, like the, the height of the low, as they might say. <laughs> I went into law school at the, the start of the low. Nice. So for those of you that don't know, I'm talking about quit law and code the book by Will Ha. You can go to quitlawandcode.com. This book is a, it's amazing actually, Will. I don't know how long, this must have took you a while, it seems at least, because it's like you lay out a life plan for, specifically for people in law that want to transition out, but I think it's it can work. Everything you talk about can work for anybody that's, you know, just coming from something else besides, you know, law and wanting to move into code. Um, or even not necessarily move into code. There's a couple chapters in there that just talk about, you know, 
what your situation is and wanting to do something different. Yeah. Um, but specifically, yes, it will help people. There's some very fine, you know, green details in there that will help people from going from law to code. I mean, you talk about um, financial planning and talking about student loan debt and all that. So let's talk a little bit about the book. Um, what was your inspiration? Because it's so another way that you and I are similar. I don't have like 120 or 200 pages or how many ever chapters yet, but I am working on a guide that's kind of coming from my Learn Swift LA meetup where I'm just talking to people about what's the mindset they should be in. And that's kind of how you start your book. And then I talk about what it means to be a good iOS developer. And I think you even talk a little bit about that in your book. And then I lay out a curriculum and it's so interesting. That's what you're, you did it in your book. Yeah. Um, so what, what's the impetus behind that? What, what made you want to write this book to help people? Yeah, it's tough. I think, um, I think what it is, is the fact that, um, people would tell me that I have this unique story. Um, it's, it's still not common, despite the fact that I met you and you happen to have been, you have, you happen to be a licensed attorney who turned iOS developer. It's still not a very common thing. Um, not not everybody goes from you know graduating undergrad going to law school being licensed then working at a firm then leaving the and to join this tech 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 role thing um, so there was that um, a lot of it was also just following tech philosophy um, there's this site that I read religiously it's called Hacker News um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it but it's put out by the um, accelerator called Y Combinator. Um, they're the same guys that um, uh, gave initial funding for, um, you know, Dropbox, Justin.TV, which became Twitch.TV, um, Airbnb, and whatnot. But there are a lot of great articles that come on through there, um, and um, just just reading a lot about um, careers and and where software is going. It just, I guess, that was maybe the impetus for it. Um, but, um, I, I would say that, you know, since putting out the book and reading more about, you know, um, there are guys like Taleb, who's a great author, um, or Peter Thiel, like talking about business competition, like it, it just becomes clear to me that it's really important, uh, for anybody, um, to become a, a value creator as opposed to just providing like a service. Um, in this case, the distinction would be, you know, if you're a lawyer, uh, no matter what, mostly you're only rendering a service um the the value you you have cannot be transferred or resold or 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 passed on in perpetuity Uh, what i'm saying is you know code happens to be intellectual property you're creating i think a lot of it just um like the feeling as if you know you're 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 contributing in some way that's that's different i think um it was that distinction that people really needed to see. That distinction, that distinction really like meant a lot to me. So I just wanted to share that. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I remember in one of my law classes, the professor asked, uh, "Why, why do you want to be a transactional attorney or uh, you know someone that's more like a litigator?" And I had to think about that. And it was because to me, transactional law was more about putting something together, whereas litigation mm-hmm. is more about um, mediating the falling apart of something. Mm -hmm. And so, but ultimately I didn't become a transactional attorney, but that, that feeling that I had was correct. I'm way more interested in building something, putting something together and building it up. So you had that same thought about 
doing transactional law versus delegation too then right you know you, you'd find a lot more joy in in helping somebody build something than you would in trying to you know have them argue uh, about money for example exactly yeah more, yeah exactly so for our Swift coder community out there, Will has been gracious enough to give all of us a promo code for Quit Law and Code. So if you go to quitlawandcode.com, is it uh, forward slash Swift Coders? Correct. Um, or is it a promo code that you... It's a promo code that um, they could use on Gumroad. Uh, it'll be like the first link up top um, in, the middle, in the middle of the website. You click on that, you, you click um, add the card or you, you want this, and there'd be a box, a promo code box on the top right where you can enter in Swift Coders, and it would yield you uh, $5 off, which is essentially uh, effectively 50% off. Awesome. And so I'll make sure to leave all the appropriate information and links in the show notes. And if you are someone that you know could benefit from this book or you know someone that can benefit from this book, I really encourage you to get it um, because... This, you know, this information is very important because I, last night as I was falling asleep, I was thinking, man, I need to like maybe go stand in front of a law school and like <laughs> hand it out or, or talk to people before they start. You know, I mean, look, a law education is awesome. But, you know, the student loan debt and the, the time that you could be spending versus doing something else, it's it's really interesting. And I think there's going to be a lot of movement in this yeah, uh, there going is. forward. Absolutely. And I, I actually wrote a post about this last night, too. Um, like a lot, like a letter to law students about it. Um, the legal industry is, it's, it's undergoing some shift. Um, and it's going to get worse. Um, okay. So we'll definitely get correct. that link if it's available. We'll leave that in the show notes too. All right. So thank you so much for sharing your story, you know, where you are now and how you got there. And now I want to move into more about your experience with Swift. So can you tell us a little bit about when you started learning Swift and you know how you went about learning it? Yeah, I mean, like my first uh, brush with with Swift was back in 2014, I believe. Is that when it was introduced? Yeah, June 2014, it was uh, announced at DubDub. But uh, I never really went quite into depth of it. Um, you know, when I when I downloaded the initial uh, beta X code, um, the debugger was not the best. Um, it was kind of slow as well. Um, but I didn't really try to learn Swift until until maybe about. Um, three or four months ago when one of our projects um, was to be written essentially 100% in Swift. Um, so at that point, you were coding all in Objective-C, you know, to, even before when Swift was first announced, you were you know, coding in Objective-C. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was well, what I was comfortable with, and it was what um, a lot of our projects uh, were in then. Um, but um, but this particular project was, was done in Swift, so... So your team was like, look, guys, we got to build uh, this new project in Swift. Why? Why did they want to do that? Um, it was not a directive of, of the client, I don't think. Um, but I think it was just like an engineering decision um, internally that we did. I, I think the writing was kind of on the wall that um, Apple aggressively wanted to pursue um, to make the transition. Um, I mean, based on the past, based on the progress within the past six months, um, it's becoming more and more clear that um, Objective C is, you know, not a, not on its way out, um, but um, but that Apple is really pushing to to have people start putting things in production in Swift. Um, a lot of the a lot of the resources are are done in Swift. Um, 
I'm seeing a lot more Stack Overflow answers done in Swift. Um, a lot more people writing about Swift. The fact that they've open sourced it um, gives it um, a lot of reason to learn Swift and, and start writing more in Swift too. So um, it's just the amount of effort that's being put into making the language um, a language that's used heavily. So I know there's a lot of other companies out there that have legacy code in Objective C. Uh, but you're a company, it sounds like that. You guys talked about it. You were working in Objective C. You talked about it, and you said for this particular project, let's do it in Swift. Maybe that was a you know a long discussion or a short discussion. Um, what do you think? Uh, was it was it a good decision? And you're not looking back, or can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, it was a pretty short discussion. I think. I mean, there was no question about it. Um, I think a number of us were pretty excited about it. Um, I mean, a, a lot of our a lot of the libraries that we do have a lot around in our repositories, they're, they're still in Objective-C and there's no problems like dropping it into the project and um, using like a, like a bridge or header to, to still use like a lot of the classes. Um, so the fact that Apple made it such that it was easy to interoperate between the two languages, it was no-brainer. Like there's there no reason why you wouldn't just use Swift um, to write and then if you need something else that you already have written that works, you know, just kind of drop it in from Objective-C. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the libraries that people are using now, like even in CocoaPods, um, it's still written in Objective-C. And the fact is, you could just simply just drop it in, put it in the header, and still use it. It's, it's pretty amazing. If, if you couldn't do that, I think, um, I, don't, I don't think Swift would, would be used as much, as widely as it is today. So... So you said about three months ago you started actually learning Swift. Uh, what what was going through your mind, and how did you how did you make the decision? And and like what was your yeah? What were you thinking? Like oh man, I'm excited, or this is gonna yeah. be interesting. <laughs> I mean, and then how did you go about learning it? Yeah, I was pretty excited. Um, but um, how I went about it was the fact that I just kind of started writing Swift the same way that I wrote Objective C code. Um, so I wasn't necessarily taking advantage of a lot of the, the new language features, which is a mistake. Um, and also, a lot of iOS development is really just calling the APIs at the right, the right moment in time. So to give you an example, um, if you're working with a um, UI view controller or a UI table view controller, you're always going to have you know, the delicate data sources, right? Um, so the, the fact that you happen to know that um, means you can still work with language, no problem. Um, but, um, for example, optionals is a big one. Um, but um, if, if, you don't, if you don't spend, you know, an afternoon or, or a week just kind of like meditating over optionals, you could really either miss the point or um, you can introduce um, really bad things into your code. Uh, so to give you an example, um, the compiler likes to tell you when you are trying to use an optional to unwrap it, but the, the method that they, that they suggest to unwrap it is to use an exclamation point um, as opposed to an, an, an optional binding, which is like an if-let statement. Right. So it's fine. You know, typically, if, you, if you're doing like a really simple project, if you're forced unwrapping it with an exclamation point, it's totally cool. But once you start introducing like networking into it, and values that may not exist, they might be nil. If if what you're unwrapping that's 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 forced is in fact a nil, your app's gonna crash, 
and um, that's no that's no good. That's no fun, um, and it's just going to cause lots of lots of headaches. And I went through that. You know, I think um, I, even even though now I I'm trying to harp it to 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 your listeners, uh, uh, I I didn't I didn't take the time to really understand optionals before you know restarting before like developing. Like I made the mistake of trying to try to code just to make just to make the compiler let it so that I could run. Um, I really could have benefited from uh, reading the documentation and, and really experimenting with playgrounds before proceeding. So, Right. I mean, I still am wrapping my head around optionals. I have a, a good understanding of it, but there's always something, you know, you haven't thought of or some new case like what we're going to talk about later, optional mapping, for instance, which is <clears throat> just a way to interact with with optionals. But I explain optionals to people all the time because it's one of the things that um, they want to they want to learn about you know mm-hmm. um, so it, uh, but did you did you spend a little bit of time trying to to understand that or did you just kind of w- go into it because I, I think that's kind of how I, I am the same way I kind of just go into it and just try to build something and then if I make a mistake kind of work backwards because that's the the kind of style I have them can be kind of impatient sometimes yeah. oh and, absolutely and not necessarily read the documentation yeah. uh, as much as I should. Um, but I think that's fine for practical learners. Like that's the way that we, that we want to go about learning it. Some people need to, you know, read the documentation front to back. Mm-hmm. Um, I know someone who read the whole Swift book front to back. I haven't read that whole thing, but yeah. I refer to it when I need to. Um, so tell us a little bit about, um, if you want, tell us about the project that you're working on um, for your company. You said it was Swift, all in Swift. Um, yeah. Tell, yeah. Just tell us a little bit about that. Totally. I mean, I can't give um, to yeah. particular details, but it's um, a relatively big app. Um, it has some social networking involved. Um, it's got a web component. Um, API is built out, um, and it's a native app as well. Um, so it's written in Swift. Um, there are some libraries that we've put in um, that are still in Objective-C. Um, I think one of them might actually even be uh, AF networking for one particular thing, uh, not for everything else. Uh, networking we've, we've done ourselves. Um, in a URL session? Correct, yeah. Um, but um, it's... Um, <laughs> Have you enjoyed going from Objective-C to Swift, uh, working on it on a day-to-day? Like, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, I mean, like, um, the code is um, cleaner, uh, easier to read, and um, the code is, is safer, like, um, like they've kind of promised as well. I've enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. People ask me about Swift. Can you, you know, can, they say, can you tell me, like, what is Swift and why? And, like, for instance, even my fiancé last night was asking me about it. And I always try to explain, like, what are the, the, the big features of it? And they talk about, you know, Apple talks about it being safe, modern, fast, expressive, not as verbose. Um, but to me, it's like a very simple language. There's just a couple basic things you need to understand and then yeah. you can get uh, get up and running. Kind of like you said, I think optionals is one of them, variables and in, in constants, and the dot syntax. And then you can kind of get up and running. Yeah, you know, I think... Um, it's that that's the problem it's decept- it's deceptively simple um i think um in, in a lot of ways it's a lot like i it, it reminds me a little bit of actually like of c++ for some reason i think um the language is 
it seems it reads like JavaScript. You know, it reads a little bit like Python, but um, but but based on what what you can do, uh, especially with functional programming, um, you know, nested functions and um, you know passing functions and in through other functions, like you could do quite a bit tuples. Uh, you could do or generics too. You know, like you you could right. do so much. Um, that wasn't really available back in Objective-C. Um, Have you gone into functional programming at all with Swift? I hear know, a lot I, of people talking about it. I, I, I haven't really. I, yeah. mean, I use Map. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, a little bit. Uh, not, not in production yet. Not, not from me personally. You know, I, if, I, if something's already there, I might be able to work with it. But um, I have not um, really put anything into production um, on my own, by my own you know, volition. Um, but I have started working through um, some of those um, functioning blogs, um, functioning encoding blogs and, and books. So, so did you say when you were learning Swift, you opened up playgrounds a little bit? Not enough. Um, I did initially just to kind of test things out. But um, I, I would say now I'm using it a lot more when I'm going through examples, and I highly recommend it to people who are trying to, you know, wrap their head around. Um, certain methods that they're trying to write to, to do. So, Right. Playgrounds is something I really want to try to get into more, especially because I teach a lot, mm -hmm. and I hear it's a very good way to teach Swift. Um, so it's definitely something I want to get into. I open it sometimes when there's a particular control flow method or algorithm or something that I'm creating. Like, for instance, I created a time ago converter. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, it takes um, an NS time interval and it outputs, I think, a string uh, with, with, you know, converted to a, like one hour ago or five minutes Absolutely. ago. And I created that in Playgrounds and then I just kind of drag and drop it in my project. So that's a cool use for it too. But I really want to get into like the interactivity. I hear it's very a good uh, teaching tool. Yeah, you know, like I, I caught something yesterday or maybe two days ago on the mailing list, um, one of those Swift newsletters that um, the latest Xcode beta xcode is going to come with a, a ui for playgrounds have you did you catch that yourself or yeah i heard that you can actually build your ui in playgrounds or like and test see out. it yeah so that's really cool i think that's probably what was you know, really missing um on playgrounds you know because of the fact that ios development is so ui based so my feeling is like they're basically unbundling the most important stuff uh, from Xcode into Playgrounds, and then they're going to slowly build it up. And Playgrounds, I think, is going to be the first thing you'll see on an iOS device that is more you know, that is a pro application for coding. You're not going to see Xcode first, I don't think. I think you'll see really? Playgrounds. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my hunch. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool to have interactive Playgrounds on an iPad Pro? Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'd be cool to develop on iPad Pro, too. Okay, so... Now I want to uh, learn a bit about your personal project. You were telling me about it. A little, uh, it's called the Polyline. You said it's ninety nine percent in Swift. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about uh, the Polyline? Uh, what is it? Um, yeah. What? Yeah. What's the point of yeah. it? And a little bit about it. Yeah. So um, right now I have a personal app that's uh, pending review uh, with Apple. Uh, Fingers the, crossed, everybody. I'm on the fifth day, and you know what? It's been rejected three times already. Uh, so, <laughs> what? Yeah, that's right. Um, but basically, I wonder I, why. <laughs> why do why? I'll, I'll tell you why. But okay, um, cool. So I had this idea to build this app. Um, basically, what um, if you're familiar with like running applications, it 
you could run and you could track your track your time, your distance, and whatnot. So I had this idea to build like a little little mini project toy app. Um, I built it in three weekends, um, just earlier this year. Um, and uh, what it is is you could log into Strava. Strava is a run bike record keeping time app. Log into Strava, pick a particular activity that you've done, um, and from that, it's going to draw the polyline um, onto the screen. The polyline is just the route of your run or ride. So it, it takes that polyline along your time distance and it overlays it onto a t-shirt. You can choose your size, choose your color, hit buy, and then you could you know pay with Apple Pay or pay with, with your credit card through Stripe. And you can buy the t-shirt um, basically through the app from Strava. So I've never seen anything like this before, but I thought it'd be really cool to to kind of like really learn more about Swift on my own time and and um, and also integrating payments like Apple Pay and Stripe processing as well. Oh um, my gosh, that is so cool! Yeah, it, uh, hopefully it gets approved in time for the marathon tomorrow. So, okay, I want to talk about so many things. That's so rad. Okay, so when you say polyline, do you mean an MK polyline? Absolutely. Um, so MK polyline, it's um, I mean that's like their particular you know class name, but um, I, I, there's, there's definition in math um, or computer programming um, polyline. It's it's the actual line that's you know drawn between two points. Um, that's that's what it's officially called. Um, so that's why I named it that. I don't think a lot of people would would know what that's what that is. Um, but um, you know, I ended up picking it because the, the domain was there and the app name was there and. Not I think it's a great name. Oh, yeah. Thanks, man. I mean, I think maybe geometry students and <laughs> developers might know. And then, you know, MK Polyline is yeah. MapKit poly, Polyline, which you haven't worked with it, but I assume you use it to overlay a line on a map. Absolutely. Um, so MapKit has a thing where you um, could, could draw things over a map, and, and the polyline is one of them. And what I did was I, I took the overlay and I took the points and read redrew the line on a UI view. And from that, you know, I get the um, transparent image, which overlays onto the t-shirt, which gets sent on over to the printing partner to, to make the t-shirt, to print the t-shirt themselves. So is there a map on the shirt too, or just the line? You know, initially I had some um, image processing where the map was looking really cool, but then I realized that um, you probably can't use Apple or Google's maps. Interesting. Based on copyright. Uh, so I ended up scra scrapping that idea because I didn't want to be rejected, but you know, it doesn't matter because I was rejected three times anyway. So, well, I think just the line is cool. And if you wanted to give it some context, you could put like some points of interest on there. Yeah. I think just the line is awesome. Absolutely. And, uh, about rejection. Um, so if you have not submitted an app, an app yet to the app store, um, but you know, even if you have, um, you know, that it's not the easiest thing to do, um, so the first projection was um, was for UI or perceived bugs. Uh, the reviewer thought that um, you know w when they first log onto the app, they're like, "Hey, the, the screen's empty. Like, there's nothing going on here." But what they didn't realize was that you have to log in with Strava, and you have to have activity on there to see your runs, so you can pick on them to choose the shirt. So there was that. Then um, the login I did through the API was, you know, based on OAuth 2. So what they had to do was 
was logging via web form, um, you know, with to their Strava account, and um, you know that web form had, you know, in addition to the email password, it also had you know logging with Facebook and Google options, and they're like saying, hey, you can't have those things if you're not going to use them, if you're not going to utilize their, the Facebook or Google features. But the reality is that that was only for a lot. It wasn't for my app at all. Uh, so there was that. Um, and the second time and the third time was um, Apple Pay. Um, Apple Pay um, is not too difficult to implement. Um, there are a lot of steps. There are like there's certificate you have to have. You have to have a payment processor. You have to upload the, the merchant certificate improperly. Uh, you have to pass around the line items and pass around the payment information. Um, but I think um, you know they're really strict in terms of like how you present Apple Pay. The third time I got rejected was because um, I was showing the Apple Pay button even though a user is either one, not eligible to, to have Apple Pay featured implemented on their on their phone, um, or um, I'm showing it, um, by showing it, it's, it's making the user, um, it's forcing the user to set it up and they don't want people to be forced to set up Apple Pay. Um, so what I did was I added the fallback option of, of a regular credit card form um, after that fact. So, What did you use? Did you use like Stripe or Braintree or something? For I that? used Stripe, yeah. Cool. So how did you fix the first problem, the kind of no data because you didn't log in with Strava? <laughs> so I said, well, if, um, if, the, if the array of activity is zero, just uh, return a... A row of one, a count of one, and just display the. You've got no activity cell. Uh, just basically a UI, UI fix telling them, hey, you know, go out and go for a run with Strava, then come on back and. Um, right, and kind of like an there. onboarding. Sort yeah, of. yeah. Okay. So I mean, all right, that's not so bad. Like I think um, I could see it as a user how, it'd be very under hard to understand like what the purpose of the app is. Um, uh, without without that, so definitely. I mean, that's why onboarding is so important. I just saw some really interesting onboarding from an app called Anchor. Hmm. Uh, it was incredible. Um, okay, so the second problem was the login with Strava. How did you solve that one? Uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't login with Strava. But was, is there a login with Strava feature? There is, yeah, and that's what that's what that is. The web form comes up, and they can log in with Strava. Well, they're supposed to log in with Strava. Um, for that, I think. Um, I honestly think the reviewer was just, you know, trigger happy and they were just, um, you know, they were on a roll with, with finding things wrong. So they ended up just docking me for that. But in reality, what I did was just explain to them, hey, this is this has got nothing to do with with um, Facebook logging with Facebook. This is their own independent Strava login. I'm using it oh. only for a lot, not for um, not to log on Facebook. So um, I see. I mean, like, I didn't get approved based on that. I mean, th that was just the second, um, the second go at it. I had to explain to them, hey, you know, I, I know it might look like that, but, but I'm not using Facebook or Google for login. I'm only using Strava for login. So hopefully they get the point. So. And then what was your experience? Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about working with the Apple Pay framework? Like, what's the first thing? I've never worked with Apple Pay. I'm assuming you have to maybe use, you have to use Touch ID, right? Yes. So 
Uh, can you talk a little bit about like what's the first thing if you want to because I really am interested in using Touch ID and Apple Pay. So let's assume you want to use Apple Pay. What's like the first thing you should do um, to kind of get started with that? Um, I would say besides besides read the documentation. <laughs> I would say maybe do a Google search for the the Ray one, the like tutorials. It's pretty decent. Um, or maybe cool. the NS Hipster one too. Okay, it's cool. actually was it fun working with it. Um, yeah, it was um, pretty exciting to make it so that um, people could pay you. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it's um, it's not the easiest thing because so another problem I had was that um, I made the mistake of asking for a user's address and shipping information prior to presenting the, the Apple Pay screen. Um, there's a method in there's a method in the the reason I did that was because I wanted I wanted to give the user the option both to to choose to pay with Apple Pay or pay with Stripe from the get go. They could choose, you know. Um, so in order to do that, I have to take the, the payment address details first. So that way, if they do decide to opt in for Stripe without Apple pay, I can still find out who, who, who I need to send the, the item to. Mm -hmm. Um, but the problem is, you know, I mean, Apple said, Hey, that, that wasn't kosher too, because you, you don't, you don't want to tell the user that they have to enter in their, their email address without giving them a reason. So this was kind of a UI issue too that, that I was dealing with. So, um, but anyway, what, what Apple pay does is they have a method where you could pass in the, the contact information that would pre-populate based on, you would pre-populate the, um, the ship, the shipping address form, the contact form on, on Apple pay itself. Uh, what I found that it, it didn't work. Um, I couldn't figure it out. I think someone else has a, has an issue about that on, on Stack Overflow. So, what I've done was I reversed it. I made it so that you know, Apple Pay comes up first if they have it, and if not, um, then show the regular credit card form with with um, the shipping information form um, after. Um, was but, it pretty easy? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. You know, uh, what was your question? It was it pretty easy, pretty easy to integrate with the Stripe uh, API? Um, relatively easy. I think if you follow the documentation um, line by line, uh, you'll get there. But um, what you do need to do with Stripe is you have to have a server of some sort. It's just a really simple server that could um, handle the token, pass it on back mm. to um, to the client. So um, there are some hoops you have to jump through. I mean, like for me, I had to spin up a um, Heroku server written in Python running Flask. And I it needed, the endpoint needed to be HTTP, so yet I ended up paying um, an additional twenty dollars a month or something like that with uh, Heroku for it. So there, there are little gotchas like things like that. But um, I wonder if that's something you could uh, do execute with uh, CloudKit somehow. I wonder too. Um, I've never really looked into that, but I wonder as well. Um, I mean, I think that's kind of where I draw the line too. I think. Um, I also want to, don't want to like you know be too enclosed in the garden, which is one of the reasons why I like in some ways I prefer you know uh, parse or um, Google App Engine to do a lot of that stuff. So yeah, that's one of my goals uh, soon is to be able to write my own web service, but uh, one thing at a time. Yeah. So going back to real quick the rejection thing, I read that the release notes section of your 
version or your build that you're submitting, mm -hmm. there's a section called release notes. And that is your opportunity to kind of explain things that might, I don't know, uh, be like a flag or anything that you can do to give more information to the reviewer. You can put in release notes and it makes uh, the reviewer's job easier and your chances of uh, being uh, not being rejected or being you know allowed through are higher. I read, I think iOS Dev Weekly maybe posted an article about how this app got rejected a bunch of times and then they wrote some stuff in release notes section and their app was not rejected. Yeah, I mean, uh, there is that section and uh, I, I've used it quite heavily to the character limit uh, the past <laughs> two times. Um, right. But somebody was clever enough to, um, to say on like either Stack Overflow about attaching a link to a video of you uh, demonstrating you know, the flow that they're supposed to, to go through too. I think that 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 in addition to whatever text you need to put in uh, would be highly effective. Um, so I mean, w with this, you know, I I I wanted them to rely on a, on a demo account, and the demo account information is just you know, it's on the left, but it's an email it's an email address and password they could use to log in, and um, that's I think a lot a lot of people who have apps that have these social features or login features. They're gonna they're gonna need to use something like that. So, but yeah, right. it's a great great little piece. So you said a link to a video. The the developer just put a link to a video like on yeah. YouTube or something. Absolutely. Oh, cool. If you do that, like that, it's totally it'll totally help them out. I think anything you could cool. do. Yeah. So what did you do for your t-shirt manufacturing solution? Yeah. So um, there's a company called Printful. Um, they do APIs. Well, they they do t-shirt printing, but they also happen to have an API that you can hook it onto. So you can make the order, um, set the image, set the price. Um, a lot of a lot of that was pretty cool to work with. But um, you submit the order for them, and it's essentially just drop shipping. You know, you customer pays you, uh, you pay the you pay the t-shirt manufacturer, and then the shirt gets gets sent on over to the customer. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, That's really a really cool. cool idea, man. I hope everything goes well. Uh, any uh, news on it? Any? Can you tell us anything more? Where can people maybe check it out or just kind of watch out for it? Anything like that? Um, I think maybe I'll post some links on it in my Twitter. Um, but um, I don't. I have a link that's that's obviously not active right now. Um, but uh, I think um, once it is out, um, you can learn, you can search for the Polyline. Um, I have a I have a placeholder website right now called thepolyline.com. Um, once it is out, I can, I guess I could put up the link there as well. Um, so so yeah, you you could just do that or follow me on Twitter. Um, and uh, once it's out, I'll I'll let you all know. That's a super cool idea, and I want to create something. I don't want to say that your idea is simple, but like something that anyone can just use on their own. It doesn't require like a social network. Because at, like for the first app I submit to the app store, just like a utility or in your case, it's like a, an e-commerce platform or not platform, but like a service. Anyone can use it on their own. It, it's simple enough. It's probably a couple of views, uh, right? And there's not mm -hmm. too, much, too much going on in there. So as you said, you created it in three weekends. That's really awesome. And so anybody out there who's thinking about what they should create for their first app, I would encourage them to do something like that, like a basic utility, something that provides a lot of value, but isn't going to be a, too much work on your part. 
Correct. Um, although I'm sure the poly line was, you know, I mean, you have Stripe integration, Apple Pay, <laughs> uh, Strava, and uh, Printful. I mean, that's pretty awesome. You're working with all these different. That's really cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's the stuff that gets me excited is working with these different technologies and frameworks. Yeah, it's really awesome. So this is the section of the Swift Coders podcast that I like to call recent tweets. And I want to talk about Will's recent tweet on January 23rd, 2016. It was actually a poll. Uh, he said, Swift developers, what wins? Question mark optional binding or optional mapping and it was a poll you had those two choices so can you tell us a little bit about that what was going through your head and uh, what are those two things sure so um, we, we talked about unwrapping optionals earlier on in the podcast and um, you know one that's you know you could you could force unwrap it exclamation point but the more common and more safe way to do it is to do um, to do a optional binding which is an if let statement you know if let number equals number, um, you know, w which means if it's not nil, do this. Else, do something else. Um, but um, I recently ran across um, a PDF called um, The Complete Guide to Understanding Swift Optionals um, put out by um, this one developer, right? I don't have his name up here right now, but it talks about how, like, you can actually map, map optionals. Um, so he was given an example, a comparison between a map function of an array versus a map function of an optional, which looks exactly the same. So in essence, what you would do is if you have an optional, single value optional, say a text or an integer or something like that, um, you know, so for example, you assign five to the variable spelled out five, and then you go five dot map, what you could do is you could, you could pass in a function um, to it such that if, if the value is not nil, that function is going to execute. And you wouldn't even have to unwrap it manually. Um, whatever gets returned will get returned um, if, if it's not nil. Um, I don't think, you know, I, I, I did a Google search on it this morning again, and I don't think there's not, there's, there's too many documentations or blog posts about it. You know, I thought I read about this in the Apple language guide, the Swift language guide, but I actually ended up reading it from this particular optionals PDF. I could send you a link or something like that. Yeah, I want to definitely get the uh, PDF link, the complete guide to learning optionals. Uh, so yeah. I'll definitely link that in the show notes. So basically, it sounds like what we're talking about is the goal is to is the same. We basically we have an optional. Mm -hmm. We want to check if it's nil or not. We want to check if there's some or there's none. And in this case, we're talking about two different ways to do that: an if let statement, an optional binding or using a, a function called map, uh, a higher order function, I think I've heard it called, mm -hmm. uh, the higher order functions of Swift. And so it's essentially doing the same thing, but you're just doing it in two different ways, right? Absolutely. So you can if let something. So if I can let um, an un, you know, my unwrapped, you know, let's say if let my variable be this other variable, then let's do something. So if there is a value, let's do it. Or you can say let my you know, new variable B, this other variable dot mapped. So do you still have to check though? Be, like, how do you know that the map worked? Do you know it? I, cause well, like you... so, um, I, I have what, I have it up on playgrounds here right now. So, um, 
have a string that's an optional right now and I end up not assigning a value to it. And uh, when I go string dot map um, and then I put in a pass in a function through it, it just, you know, it just does nothing. Um, if the string is not nil, I'll end up, um, you know, in this case, uh, returning the text of it or printing it out, which is uh, pretty cool. That's interesting, though, because yeah. then if it is nil, you, I, you guess you still have to check well, if it's... Well, nil. I mean, if, if it is nil, the, 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 what, what you're assigning it to will be nil. Um, so that initial check... So what I found was that, you know, building up to, to, to being for the variable to be passed on to a function is what drives me a little insane because there's a lot of boilerplate and like work to get to getting it up to that point. Right. Um, if it isn't optional, but what this does is it, it gives you another option to, 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 to go ahead and, and try to pass, pass that value into a function without trying to unwrap it first. Yeah. I I've used map, uh, when I am like, rather than just doing like a four in, I just do a map. I'm going to play with that um, optional mapping. But uh, instead of if letting with an optional, you know, for optional binding, I've been doing guard letting. Hmm. I really like the guard uh, statement. I haven't used the guard defer that much, um, but I've been guarding, uh, <laughs> guarding a lot. Yeah. Instead of uh, if letting, I've been guard letting, which is really cool. It's, okay, well, thank you for, mm -hmm. sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, so thank you for sharing that. So you had a uh, we had just had a little uh, little swift tutorial there on optional binding versus optional mapping. So go ahead and look that up your, yourself. I googled it last night. There was a couple of things. I saw something on uh, Natasha the robot talked about it. Um, Obcio, however you pronounce that, talked a little bit about it. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we've come to the sad but happy end of the Swift Coders podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about where people can find you on the internet. Do you have a website? Do you want people to contact you on Twitter? Yeah, um, I do have a website. It's just um, my name.com, williamha.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter. My uh, handle is uh, Burrito Fanatic. Um, my book website is quitlawandcode.com. Uh, you can email me, will at quitlawandcode.com as well if you'd like. Um, but yeah, I, I write um, on my website about um, you know tech news, sort of Swift a little bit. Uh, my transition from uh, law to software development as well. So awesome! One of these days, maybe when we have you back on, we can hear the story behind Burrito Fanatic. Although I think uh, we can use Res Ipsa Loquitur to explain that. Uh -huh. Nice. <laughs> All right. So before we begin, the very last part of the Swift Coders podcast. Please, if you will, one piece of advice for people learning Swift. Oh, um, I think um, learning, um, learning programming or learning Swift? Swift. Swift. Um, probably it's um, to really read the docs, learn optionals, um, and, and I think you'll be okay. I think that's sound advice. Read the docs and learn optionals. <laughs> I, yeah. I agree. All right. Well, Will Ha, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being here, sharing us your story, uh, telling us all about your experience with Swift. Uh, from me, the whole Swift Coders community, thank you so much. You're welcome. My pleasure. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. 
feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends. Oh, 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 o